for us as men to, to leave changed, uh, to leave with a, a desire to, to grow deeper in our walk with Jesus Christ and for us to stand and to be courageous. And so uh, we want to invite you Saturday, October 22nd. Uh, we have a little bit of time here in front of us, but uh, it's the 22nd of October. It's a full day of uh, guest speakers and worship. It's at 9 o'clock a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, the event is free. Uh, there may be some limitations as far as seating is concerned because we're expecting a, a lot of guys to show up at this year's event. So uh, we're asking you to get signed up. So I'm going to have uh, my iPad with me and a, and a list so we can get you guys signed up. I'll help you get signed up. Uh, you can also text uh, SoCal22 to that phone number right there on the screen behind me. Um, let's go. Let's, let's get the troops rallied up, guys. Um, let's, we'll work on the carpool situation. We could uh, have several carpools. It'd be nice to get you know, just a bunch of guys to get out there, uh, get out there early, right, get our seat, and just enjoy uh, a full day uh, anticipating uh, just for God's word to uh, continually just move in our lives, right? So hope you guys are excited for that event. Let's get signed up. Also, uh, we have coming up uh, another round of our foundations classes that's coming up on September 11th, 18th, and 25th. And uh, for those of you that maybe knew the foundation class, it's a three-week series that goes uh, over our story um, our mission and our ministries, as well as our statement of faith, what we believe and why. It's very important. Uh, this also gives us an opportunity uh, to meet you. Uh, so if any of you have yet to do these classes, uh, you know, we, we want to encourage you uh, to get signed up. You can go to the information table today, uh, get signed up, and just uh, as well, you know, if you're looking to serve here, uh, just to become a part of the work that God is doing here in our church uh, at Refuge, uh, these classes are required. And so uh, get signed up for that. Um, also, we want to announce we have our men's uh, and women's prayer breakfast coming up. You know, monthly, the men and the women, we meet separately. Well, this month, as we come into September, uh, we're going to come together uh, the men, the women, we're going to meet here on Saturday, September 3rd, and that's going to be at 7 a.m. And so I can't stress the, uh, just how important it is, right, to, to come together and pray. Uh, folks, our, our state is in trouble, our nation is in trouble, and the church is in trouble. And we need God's uh, strength. We need God's help. And we can come together, we can lift up the needs of the church, we can commit to him, we can humble ourselves before him, um, and we need to come together to pray more often, right? So let's do that. You're going to leave, you're going to be encouraged, start off your Saturday on the right foot. We're also going to have uh, that time where we can uh, enjoy uh, some breakfast together uh, and a time of worship and devotion as well. So uh, husbands and wives, join us. Uh, whether you're married, whether you're singled, men, women, come on out and join us. And so that's coming up again on Saturday, September 3rd. So that's uh, all the announcements that we have to share with you this morning. So let's welcome up Pastor Raw. God bless you guys.
Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Um, just a beautiful day to come together and worship the Lord. You know, I do want to just give thanks to the Lord for everything that he did on Friday and Saturday with the men's camp out that we had um, just right up the hill, um, starting with uh, just all the preparation, all the prayer that went into um, that whole event. Um, we know that God is faithful. Uh, it's pretty awesome how it is that we were praying. I, I don't know if you know, like during this time, there's uh, the monsoon season and there's Although here down in the, the flat area of the earth, <laughs> we don't have much rain. In fact, we haven't had, had any rain at all, have we? Um, but up the hill in the mountains, there's tons of rain. And there's flash flood warnings, um, all of that. So with that rain, part of the road in between us and the camping area that we were going to flooded or washed out. And so the road is, is missing. <laughs> it's not there. So it's kind of hard to get there when the road is, is missing, right? And so we would either have to go all the way around, and it would take us, I think it was on, uh, on my GPS, it was saying an hour and 45 minutes or so to get up there. Um, or we could take a uh, service road. Service road is much funner. And, uh, and so what happened was the Lord made it possible for us to use that service road because it wasn't open, uh, even the service road. Um, you get to a certain point in the service road and there's a small bridge that goes over and you could see where the water was. And it was like up on the banks, like up, I don't know, probably 50, probably more than that, 75 feet from the bridge on the sides, on both sides. And so it was just a, a massive amount of water that was coming down uh, previous to, this was uh, like a while ago. The Lord made a way. And uh, we were able to get up there. And I know that everyone that was up there, the Lord ministered to. Uh, I want to share this with you. Uh <clears throat> We had some guys go up and, and, uh, and really be in fellowship with uh, the brothers from Refuge for the first time. And just to encourage you, some of the things that they, that, that they saw, which were told to me, that they were encouraged with. And they said, you know, you have the older, you have the younger, and the younger, and by the way... Um, Jesse, Ethan, and Mario did a wonderful job leading us in worship. They did. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, they led confidently in the Lord, humbly before the Lord. And so that encouraged, like, in, one person in particular that had shared with me, they were blessed to see it's like, I, we know who was leading, and that was Jake. Jake and uh, Modesto, they, they planned everything and got everything together. But it was such a blessing to see the younger serving in that manner within the church. To see, and he was telling me this, to see the younger share in the teaching of the whole group of men. The younger expressing and communicating a wisdom that far exceeded their age, uh, a wisdom that comes from the very word of God. 
that was all encouraging to them. And so I just want to say that, that and share that with you because that brings glory to the Lord. And, uh, and so all of you men and everyone who is praying for us, um, I know that the Lord was faithful and he did a wonderful work up there. I know that I was refreshed and I was built up and I enjoyed the whole time. Uh, even yesterday, hiking up the mountain, going up into Jenks Lake, and then going coming back, we came straight down the mountain, didn't we, Ray? <laughs> and we felt every bit of it, and we're feeling every bit of it. Yeah, but it was fun. We were, uh, as someone put it, we were trailblazers. <laughs> yeah, but it was fun. It was enjoyable, a great time of fellowship, but we spent a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time. Even after the devotion time, we sat around and we discussed what we went over. We went through it, and, uh, and uh, you know, we always pray that that time would be uh, just a, a, a time of building up and stirring up and, and continuing to reinforce that foundation upon which we stand, and that is the foundation that is known in Jesus Christ. And so, just uh, awesome. Praise God for all that he's done and that he did. Um, I also want to uh, announce that I will not be here next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, um, Bettina, Isaiah, and I will be in Texas. And no, we're not looking at property in Texas. We have no intention of moving to Texas. Uh, and uh, because we know, here's the thing, is we know that we are here for a reason, Right? So I just want to make that very clear. I, I know there's a mass exodus, you know, out of California and into Florida, everywhere else but California, right? Uh, it, well, except Washington also, and except, no, there's many places. <laughs> but, uh, but not us. We're going to Texas to visit our son, Christopher, who's in the Navy, and he's serving there in Midland as a recruiter. And so we get to go and visit with him. Uh, so we'll be gone for a few days. Uh, but next Sunday in my place... Uh, you will have Pastor Mike Ursioli from Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Now, there's a reason why I asked him. As I was praying and seeking the Lord, um, I know that most of you know that I went and taught in his place on a Thursday, his mid midweek study, because he's undergoing uh, treatment for the cancer that he's battling. And um, just with that treatment, it just like it, it hit him hard and he was down. And so he, he needed some help. And so he had asked if I would go and teach in his place. And I did. And I asked some of the men. Um, I, I just opened it up to, to the church to see um, who would be willing to go out. And we had a great group of people go out with us and support and encourage our brothers and sisters at Calvary, Calvary Chapel, Ontario. So I've asked him to come and uh, teach on Sunday so that he can encourage you and really I know he's a humble servant of the Lord, but to also serve as an example of someone who stand fast, stands, stands fast, is immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter what it is, it's, it's not possible to stop a man who is completely resting in the Lord, regardless of what's happening in his life, and is given to serve him every day of his life. And so him and Terry are that example. And so I was uh, honored when he accepted that request. And so he'll be here next Sunday 
um, teaching in my place. We also have um, something else, and um, I'd like to ask Rachel and her parents, uh, Rachel Fraser, to come up to the front. And her sister, Hannah. So Rachel's in trouble. Um, this is how we discipline people here at Refuge. That's hard to believe. Rachel? <laughs> no, Rachel is, um, she is going to GCU, Grand Canyon University. And so we'd like to pray for her. Um, I... Seeing this young woman growing through the years, maturing in the Lord. You know, um, I often refer to 3 John 1 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, just something to share is that. When I hear, you know, of, of our kids sharing the word or encouraging others to do the right thing because it's just the right thing and you please the Lord, it's just a joy. To my heart, it's a, it's a joy, and, it, and it, it's certainly wonderful. Um, but that's when I hear of Rachel doing that, you know, of, of walking with the Lord and seeking him. And, and, uh, and I can't imagine the, the joy that uh, Stephen Darcy um, experience knowing that uh, she is uh, a woman of faith and, and she is going off to uh, continue to increase in her knowledge and understanding of subjects that will help her uh, as she goes out into the workforce um, you know as the Lord provides and that is what he's providing and so we're going to pray over her so as a church we're going to pray over her and send her off She's going to be moving into um, her uh, apartment with other um, students, her roommates uh, at GCU. So let's pray for her. So church, can we stand to our feet? And whoever would like to come up, you're more than welcome to come up.
so we ask, Lord, that you would crown her with wisdom, that you would fill her with your spirit, that you would remind her of scripture, that she would apply it with discernment, and Lord, that she would be consistent and disciplined, Lord, in the things that you have before her to accomplish and fulfill. Lord, that she would be an example to others. As your word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Father, I pray that she would imitate you, Lord, that she would follow you closely and encourage others to do the same. Lord, everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, above all, that you would grow closer to him. That when difficult situations confront her, Lord, she would run to your word. That she would be reminded of how much you love her, that you are faithful. And Lord, that she can trust you and know that when she's heavy laden, Lord, that she can cast all those things upon you because you care. And so, Father, we lift her up to you, Lord. We ask your blessing. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. It's awesome to be able to do that. Um, and then uh, and then here we are. We are continuing through the Gospel of Mark. In fact, we're wrapping up the, the, the uh, uh, chapter in which we went over last week. Uh, we are in chapter 12, so we'll be concluding that this morning. And the question for us this morning and the title of this morning's message is how well do you know Jesus? How well do you know Jesus? The world has an opinion, has a perspective of who Jesus is, but who do you say he is? Um, do you know him well? Do you think you know him really well? Well, hopefully you know him better by the end of this message, and as we go through Mark chapter 12 and verses 35 through 44, than you did before. So let's begin by reading again Mark chapter 12, verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the 
people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Lord, the question is posed to us as to how well we know Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would give us that understanding. Help us to know the one we proclaim, the one that we confess to be followers of. That we, Lord, would grow in our knowledge of him, our understanding of him, Lord, but also in that, grow in our affection for him, our desire to glorify him, to bless you with with greater understanding, to serve you and to live in a manner that that reflects, reflects our our understanding of your word and, and blesses you. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, Lord. I ask that you would give us understanding, Lord, and that you, Lord, would fill us with your spirit to overflowing. Lord, minister to us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we have learned, Jesus has been confronted with a barrage of questions by the religious leaders. They have attempted to find fault in Jesus with a purpose. They, they wanted to find fault in Jesus in order to discredit him before the people. Even potentially accuse him of blasphemy. These questions were also asked to Jesus in order to discourage those who were following him. You see, by this time, he had a great number of people following him. And so, of course, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they did not like this. And so they were asking questions to confront Jesus to prevent people or discourage people from following him and even cause others who were following him to stop following him. Hey, listen, even today, keep in mind that the enemy is still doing the same thing. You know, what is the purpose of our question? Well, I went over that last week, didn't we? We went over that in detail. What is the purpose of the questions that we ask? Um, do we ask questions with a pure motive of drawing closer to the Lord, of knowing his word, of understanding his word, and then applying it to our lives? To come to the understanding of truth. The enemy can cause us to question, to doubt. And in so doing, we get confused. That is not the work of the Lord. It is the work of the enemy. And this is what they were doing. 
With these questions, they were trying to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. The Son of God, the Messiah. But by now, Jesus had healed many people. Some who were suffering from leprosy, paralysis, even a man with a withered hand. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and he caused the mute to speak. Jesus had cast out demons and even raised Jairus' daughter from the grave. By now, Jesus had corrected misinterpretations and misapplications of the Old Testament, confronted the religious leaders with parables to help them understand clearly where they had gone wrong, taught with parables to help the people understand theological truths, and demonstrated that he has the authority over the spirits and the elements, possessing the ability to multiply food to feed the thousands. And he even stopped a hurricane-like weather with the spoken word. But Jesus also warns of dangers. The dangers of false doctrine and warns of people who teach such things. Telling us to avoid them because they lead you down a path of destruction, of death. So the question for us this morning, we need to answer this question. How well do you know Jesus? This is the question Jesus asks asks the people in this moment. In, In this time, he's asking this question. Those surrounding him. You see, at this point, Jesus, according to Mark eleven twenty seven, was walking in the temple when the Sanhedrin approached Jesus and challenged his authority. He is still there in the court of the Gentiles, and he's still addressing the people. The multitudes are gathering for Passover, and Jesus is there. This is, this is his public arena too address these questions, these confrontations, but it's for our benefit even today. Teaching us, helping us understand Scripture, what is true. While others asked Jesus questions to trap him, Jesus did not ask questions to trap others. Jesus asked questions in order to correct theology, to lead them to know that what he says is true and believe that he is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And this is what he's doing with the scribes and others who are present in the temple at that particular time. And Jesus begins by asking a question about Scripture, something that they're all familiar with. It leads, it was intended to lead people to realize that he is Messiah. Then warns them to avoid certain people who do not serve God. They think they're serving God, but they're not serving God. They were actually serving themselves. And then we see, as we read, 
he has this wonderful time of teaching his disciples. As he sees from across the way, he sits down and observes people putting, putting in their offering. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine anyone sitting like there's, there's, a, bo- there's a box in the back. For anyone who uh, still writes checks and some people like to write checks physically, um, there's always a place where you can deposit um, that offering. But can you imagine someone just sitting there watching you? That's what was happening. Jesus was sitting there watching as people from across the, the room, watching people put in their offering. And he saw this poor little widow who came and gave. We're going to learn about that as well. But the Lord used that as an opportunity to teach his disciples something very important that they needed to know and we need to know today. You see, the value of the gift is determined by the heart and the spirit of the giver. So three things. Number one, who's the son of David? Number two, beware of religious hypocrisy. And number three, guard your heart. Let's begin with the question that Jesus asked. Verses 35 through 37 again, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. You know, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God said that he would raise up a new king from the line of David. That he would be the one who would eventually be the liberator and the restorer of God's people. The Savior, Messiah, the anointed one. In 2 Samuel 7... We see God's covenant with David, speaking of Solomon in that covenant, and then promising that his lineage and his kingdom and his throne will be established forever. In other words, the Messiah, the anointed, the Savior, will come through the line of David. Very simply, very clearly written about in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In fact, let's turn there so we can read that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to verse 12. By the way, this is what the people who were listening, who were present in that moment, in that day with Jesus in the court of the Gentiles, they knew this. The scribes knew this very well. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? So, again, the lineage of David. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He is speaking of Solomon. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. 
But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is the covenant that God made with David. The question that Jesus asked was in line with what was being taught from Scripture well before the time of Jesus. And it's because of this that the first premise of Jesus' argument in this moment formed in a question would not be considered to be controversial. It would simply be lining up with the scribal teaching of the day. But in that teaching, did they lack understanding? That was the question. Did they lack understanding, even though they knew what was written in 2 Samuel chapter 7? In the covenant that God made with David, did they lack understanding? Asking the question, who's the son of David? Hey, listen. Jesus was standing before them. At that point, they had to ask the question, where will Messiah come from? From whose lineage? Who do we have before us? Considering all those things that he's done up to this point, what he's taught. You see, Jesus is asking a question to help them understand who is standing before them. You're missing, gee, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I am the Savior that was spoken of, that was prophesied. It is important for them to come to a conclusion. Why? Because just in a few days, he will be hanging on a cross for each and every one of them. And the important question for them is, to answer do you know who's hanging on the cross do you know why he's hanging on the cross you see again these religious leaders were well versed in the old testament they thought they knew everything there was to know about messiah but in actuality they couldn't discern and recognize that messiah was standing right in front of them imagine that but before you cast stones at the scribes, how long did it take you to come to know that Jesus was standing before you and calling you to know forgiveness, know that he is able to forgive you of your sins because he's paid the price that you owe on the cross, that he's already shed his blood on your behalf, that he offers to you Salvation by grace through faith in him? Did you recognize him right away? Are you recognizing him right now? And what's stopping you from believing in him? So here's a question that Jesus 
asks, and, and it's really a quote from Psalm 110.1. Verse 36 says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So yeah, so if David calls him Lord, how is the Messiah also his son? Answer me that, right? How is that possible? Scribes, you teachers of the word, of the scriptures, of the things that have been written, the law of Moses, please tell me, tell me what this means. God promised that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, being the son of David, and yet he was sent by the Father in his time and is Indeed, the Son of God. As he was born of a virgin and remained sinless throughout his life, hung on a cross, condemned as a condemned man, and yet he was sinless, paying for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He atoned for our sin being our propitiation or the satisfaction of God's wrath against us in our sin. And he was fully man and he was fully God. In fact, Revelation twenty two sixteen 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Wow. He is both the root and descendant of David. Amazing to kind of just attempt to understand that. He is eternal, and yet he came in the flesh of man, and he dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. That was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus in this moment wanted to make a point. You know this verse. You know this. And yet... You may be so close and yet miss salvation eternally. And he did not desire that that would be true of them. You see, God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wanted them to understand Jesus is the son of David and Jesus is the son of God. That has already been spoken of, foretold. And here he is, the Fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus asked this question, and whether they believed him or not, as far as the scribes are concerned, he wanted to make sure that 
anyone who was around him would hear the truth and would believe. So the people, as we read here, heard him gladly. They learned an important truth. Who is the son of David? But then he goes from there. And then he speaks of and he warns of the hypocrisy of those religious leaders of the day. Verse 38 says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. He makes a statement. They will receive the greater condemnation. So Jesus turns from questioning the understanding of a common scribal teaching to warn the people of the scribes who liked the prominent places among the people. And the people knew this. This was common knowledge. He wasn't saying anything that they didn't already know. You see, it was the scribes, uh, the Sadducees, the, all of them, the, the, the Pharisees, they were all trying to marginalize Jesus. But every time, it backfired. It backfired on Jesus was pointing out some obvious things about the religious leaders and warning the people, telling them to avoid them because as they stand, they stand condemned. They will receive, as he said, as Jesus said, the greater condemnation. This is a, a serious rebuke and this is a serious admonition for those who are teaching to not twist the word of God, to not give their own opinion if it's contrary to the truth of God's word, and definitely not to elevate themselves more and above the word of God. These religious leaders expected everyone else to work to follow the scriptures by the letter. But they themselves, as was known, as everyone else worked and served, stood around doing nothing. These religious leaders who like long, grand introductions, you know, tell everyone just how great I am. Give me this wonderful introduction. That's me. They like that. Why? Because they, they like to have public recognition for all the people to know just how great they were. Not only that, but they expected, these, these religious leaders expected VIP treatment everywhere they went. Um, I remember there's... Um, forgot what you call it, but it's a, um, it's a list of demands. It's, a, it's in a con form of a contract. Um, performers, entertainers, um, they have this contract that they send to the venue that they will be performing at. And they have this, these lists of expectations. 
the green room has to have all of these things. And we're talking, I'm, I have one person in, 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 in mind to where she wanted, and I forgot the, the, the color of the, of the couch, but it had to be velvet, had to be a minimum of a certain size, and then certain chocolates that could only be found like towards LA. Um, there's like, I don't know, certain beverages that, shouldn't, that should be in there. Uh, people who are not to go in after they arrive. And this is all to be in the green room and treated a certain way and picked up. Sometimes they demanded to be picked up in a vehicle that was at a specific temperature uh, within the vehicle. I mean, all of these things. Talk about VIP treatment. Can you imagine? I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's, it's just amazing to be a servant of the Lord and to demand, like, certain things, like to be treated like a VIP. Listen, no one person is above another. No one. I'm just serving in a different way than you are. But each person is important within the body of Christ in order, as each one does their part, to build each other up in love and sound doctrine. So your place within the body of Christ is just as important as your place within the body of Christ. But it was common knowledge. These, these men, they, they loved VIP treatment. In contrast, we have men like Peter, James, John, and other apostles. We have Paul who lived to reveal who Jesus is. That's it. That's all he wanted to do. The gospel he wanted to proclaim, declare, to bring clarity to it, to, for the people to understand, hey, this is the Savior. You, you can only know salvation through Jesus Christ. That is it. And he didn't expect anything in return. In fact, I love the fact that for the Apostle Paul, he didn't even expect uh, to be provided for by the church. Imagine that. He would have done it, and he did do it, as he worked with his own hands as a tent maker. He was a man who expected nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthians says this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like 
the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Oh, how to win friends and influence people. Apparently, the Apostle Paul did not read that book. (laughs) But that's what a father will do. In fact, everything that he was saying up to that point is kind of like he was in a bit being a bit sarcastic, you know. Oh, we are the scum of the world. You, you are rich. You are wise. You are all this. That's because they thought themselves to be that. It's like, yeah, no, humble yourself. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brothers, do not... Uh, Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, May may we boast only in the Lord, that we know him, more importantly, that he knows us. You see, the truth about these scribes that Jesus was referring to is that they would take advantage of the weak and vulnerable. Sound familiar? You ever turn on the TV and you have these these people using the word of God to solicit all kinds of money coming into them with the promise of sending them a blessing. You know, the more you give, the more you get. But it's for the wrong reason. The motive behind it is horrible. This is what happens. People, they see this not knowing, being ignorant of the word of God. And then they they say, oh, well, that's the way the Lord's going to bless me. These men were known to take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. Those who were desperately seeking relief from some sort of trouble that they found themselves in. Outwardly, they appeared to be very spiritual, very close to God, when in reality they were far from him and far from serving God. They were actually serving themselves. And Jesus is warning them, the people, that they are not sound guides of the scriptures and they will receive the greater condemnation. And why is that? Why is it that these people, well, they're speaking some truth, right? Why not eat the chicken and spit out the bone? Have you ever heard that in regards to 
Like, ah, there's some compromise there, but you know, just eat the chicken and spit out the bone. Have you ever done that? I've never done that. If you can do that, that is impressive. Eating a whole chicken and there goes the bone. No, listen. <laughs> we are a little leaven leavens a whole lump, right? Isn't that true? We are to be a pure church. We're not looking to make a name for ourselves. We, we are here to worship and to praise God and to elevate his name. His name should be praised. We should honor him. Remember, would you be willing to be looked at as the scum of the earth? As fools for Christ? So why these people, why would they receive the greater condemnation? Well, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Who you follow is not something to take lightly. Whose teaching you sit under is also not something to take lightly. I tell you from time to time, make sure you are paying attention to what I'm saying from this pulpit. Be a Berean. Know your word. And if anything false comes from this pulpit, any embellishment of scripture, any inaccurate False doctrine comes from here. First of all, come tell me. Right? Confront me. Tell me. This is where you erred. This is where I think you went off. Okay, we can talk about that. And if, and if I see it, and I admit, and, and I understand, and I still walk in that false doctrine, please run from here. Please help the Lord shut down the doors to this church, please. It's that important. We cannot take this lightly. We cannot overlook things. If you're looking for something other than the teaching to be the reason you go to a church, think again. Please think again. I know of too many people that have made choices to go to certain churches because of certain amenities that they offer. Well, this church... Well, they have a skate park for my kids and a playground. They have these things it's like a playground in a, in, a, in a skate park. I mean, that's why you're making the decision. This one over here is funner. Yeah, but is that what you're looking for? You're looking for fun within a church? Listen, we have fun. Men, did we not have fun this weekend? We were in the word. Don't take this lightly. Brothers and sisters, do not take this lightly. Amenities or comforts or convenience were never what Jesus taught to look for and consider in a local fellowship. In fact, this is what was warned, we were warned of. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Beware of religious hypocrisy. And thirdly and finally, guard your heart. Verse 41, And he sat down opposite the treasure and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here's the heart that Jesus desired for his people to possess. The heart of this poor widow. Oh, he said, she is wealthier than all of the people that went before her and put in their offering. Because they gave out of their abundance. Jesus sat there and observed this taking place, watching people give their offering, knowing what people brought and knowing what people offered and then knowing the, even the intentions of their heart. And Jesus used this event as an object lesson to teach his disciples how to live for the glory of God. How God and what God expects someone to give. How to give. To make an offering. Was it not sacrificial for this poor widow to give everything that she had? Absolutely. And so Jesus calls his disciples over and points out something very important. Jesus didn't tell them the specifics of their giving. But we know because we know the specifics of it. But at that time, he just brought them over. Because he wanted them to know the heart behind their giving and who gave more. Monetarily, of course, the widow gave less than the rich. From God's perspective, the poor widow gave more than all those rich people combined. Everyone else combined gave more. Something else I want to point out. Jesus did not call the poor widow over and tell her, I know what you gave. It's not necessary. Listen, this is everything that you own. So here you go. Here are your two mites back. He didn't do that, did he? He did not do that. He also didn't tell his disciples, I want you to feel sorry for her because she is a poor widow and she gave everything. He didn't do that either. What he did say is that she's wealthier than everyone else. She has the right place. She stands in the right place before God. 
You see, God is interested in your motive for giving. You know, we, we no longer pass the bag. We don't, we don't have a, a physical collection of the offering. And we're no more spiritual than anyone else who does. We just do it this way. Most of the giving is online here. And we put it up, put up on the screen after the second song how it is that you can make your offering. Or you can go to the back afterwards and put it into the box. But your motive in doing so, it's what's, it's what's important. There are times when only time will reveal what your motive is. The accolades of people, greater positions of authority, the respect and honor of the people, and on and on. Or is it simply giving cheerfully to God because he has already given everything to you? This is what this widow is doing. She could, she, she, there's no way she could have given everything she had reluctantly. And then Jesus used that as an object lesson to teach his disciples about the heart of the worshiper. He wouldn't have done that. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. You know, one thing that I know, and, I, and personally I have come to do, is the first thing I do, and this is me, because I want to make sure that it's off, is... That, that paycheck hits the bank. And because I have the ability to do this, I can grab my phone and go, boom, boom. That's, that's off. I, that's the Lord's. To my shame, I remember years ago, just giving a little bit. I remember looking at our, our, our uh, ties report at the end of the year. And thinking, oh, cumulatively, I've, you know, we've given so much. But proportionately, for me, that was not sacrificial. That, for us, that was not sacrificial. That was years ago. That, that, would, that would be like throwing in a, like a, a, a few copper coins into the bag as it's going by. That's to our shame. But I was not a cheerful giver. Because I know that what God has given me, it has been entrusted to me. I'm simply a steward. And whatever I give, I can never give back what God has not first given me. Let's also understand what God expects of the, of the rich. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, is for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, or nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Are the rich generous toward God? Sometimes people see their tithes so big they can't possibly give all of that in one place. So they make up their own way of giving smaller portions and end up giving less than the poor widow 
who gave everything she had, all she had to live on. Listen, and I, and I lay this all out before you. I know that there are some churches who will not teach on this. I don't even want to touch it. But here at Refuge, we teach the whole counsel of God. So therefore, whatever is before me, so I teach. And so we come across this difficult subject. Why? Because we need to learn the heart of the giver. What Jesus desired out of the one who's worshiping him. Because again, Jesus did not rebuke her, nor did he tell his disciples that this offering made him feel sorry for the poor widow. On the contrary, Jesus made sure they knew that she was in the better place and she was rich in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So the poor widow, stewards, yes, but not serving. The poor widow obviously did not say in her own heart, I will give when I have more. She didn't do that. She had nothing, and yet she was willing to give everything. To Jesus' disciples, this was worth Jesus calling them over and drawing to their attention, showing them that this woman was an example worth following. The question for us in every aspect of our walk, our lives with the Lord, are we worth following? Or do you use any reason to withhold from giving to Jesus what has been provided and entrusted to you by him? And I'm talking time, talent, and treasure. You see, God is pleased with an offering that is founded on faith and is not given begrudgingly, but will, will, willingly and joyfully. Who is the son of David? Beware of religious hypocrisy, hypocrisy and guard your heart. So again, the question, how well do you know Jesus? Do you know that there is salvation in no one else? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you believe when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? Do you, do you believe that? And how well do you know the word? that you may enjoy biblical wisdom, discernment that comes from the scriptures, knowing what pleases the Lord and live accordingly. What you believe, what or who you avoid, and how you give of yourself to God, is it based upon the scriptures? Is it pleasing to the Lord? If he is your savior, then you desire nothing more and nothing less than to bless him. Do you know how to? And that is our 
That is our work. That is what we are to be given to, to study the scriptures and know. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I ask that for anyone who does not know you as a Savior, as Jesus is the one who was prophesied about, foretold of, who hung on the cross on our behalf, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, atoning for our sins completely. I pray, Lord, that Lord, that we would confess him as Lord and Savior for anyone who does not know him as Lord and Savior this morning, that today would be the day of salvation. For your people, Father, I pray that we would, we would know your word, Lord, that we would know how to answer these questions and that we would, Lord, be willing to, if need be, draw away from, pull away from anything that is opposed to you. And so, Father, we're here as your people. Just loving you and asking, Lord, that you would guide and lead us, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and then that we would walk in the light of your truth and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.